Welcome to the 21st edition of the Guna Podcast, sponsored by GunaShirts.com. This edition features the remainder of the chat that we didn't have room for in our previous edition, which was recorded on the Monday evening between the FA Cup away draw against Cardiff and the 1-1 game with Everton at Goodison Park. Our panel consists of regular Guna contributor David Udo, Guna editor Kevin Witcher and Tim Payton of the Arsenal Supporters Trust. We start with a chat about attendance figures. With rumours of uh, attendances of 48,000, 53,000 when... The, you know, the club are announcing that there's 60,000 people there. Tim, you have an idea of how we can get around this. Yeah, I think that the time has come to introduce what I call the home match credit to go alongside the away match credit. The whole thing is run through the computer. It's really simple. Each game, if your ticket gets used, you get a credit. Say we have 27 home games over the season. When they ballot for the cup final, if you have 27, you're higher up the list than someone who's got 24. Mm. There is therefore an incentive to you to make sure your ticket is used. You don't have to go, but there's a very fair ticket exchange system. Get it onto a mate, get it onto a friend, make sure the stadium is full, feels better for the team, right. feels better for the other fans, improves the atmosphere, and will increase club revenues and activity because things like merchandise and, re- and catering and everything will go up. But why not? Why not reward the person who is using their ticket? Right. Would you, would you get a, a credit if you use the Arsenal ticket exchange? Well, yes, you would, because right. what you're doing is making sure that that seat isn't yeah. empty. Okay. The important thing is to make sure that seat isn't empty. It's a bit of an incentivization. Yeah. Some people clearly will think, cold day, live on TV anyway, bit of a queue for the tube station, can't be asked. Yeah. And what you've got to do is just try and add a little bit of a reward for getting yeah. that ticket back in circulation to someone. And with the exchange system, no one can complain that there isn't a mechanism for doing it. No, no, but well, I don't like the fact that you know how much is. What's the percentage of your ticket you get back the following year with the ticket exchange? You get the full price back, less about ten percent admin. It's pretty good. Yeah. You're pretty good. I think if you if you're on a forty quid ticket, you get about thirty seven quid back. I thought it was less that. than that. I, have, I thought it was twenty five percent you lost. Oh no, no, no. I mean that's not too bad, I guess, because that kind of covers a. You bear in mind you get a discount by buying a season ticket in the first place. I mean, it's not calculated on a yeah. on a what a silver member would pay per match. And that's ninety percent more than not using it, right? Which is the other option that's going to happen, right? You're not forced to use it. Give it to a mate. No, no. That's, no I mean, that's what I do. I mean, I I only go to the only games I attend are the three o'clock kickoffs on Saturday. Um, apart from that, I watch it elsewhere. But you know, if if I couldn't get rid of the ticket, then I'd be there. You know, I wouldn't let it go go to waste. I mean, that's just silliness, really. Mm. If it's financial silliness yeah. above anything else. Um, I think the problem with the um, the scheme is that uh, it's not particularly smooth in terms of. I think there's a cut off of something like forty eight hours before the game starts. Um, now, if they made it a significantly easier to actually say, "I'm not going to use my ticket." you can sell uh, my ticket. I mean, because the club are going to have to work harder to get people in the stadium, the concept of general sale is going to come round fairly soon. And I'm assuming maybe people need a PIN number or something, but I think people should be able to ring in to the club uh, on the morning of a game and, and, and say, my ticket is not going to be used today, yeah. please sell it. And the club prints a paper ticket and sells it to one of these Japanese tourists who's currently right. being fleeced by the towns. No, exactly. Um, all it requires is a bit of imagination and a bit of facilitating by the club. Yeah. And in a sense, you can understand why they've got a bit lazy, a bit complacent over 
the way they deal with these things because the stadium is sold out. You know, because they can't maximise the revenue on the seats any more than they already are doing. Mm-hmm. However, times are changing. They are going to have to work harder to get all the tickets sold. And, and, and then there will hopefully be a new approach to uh, making it easy for people to buy tickets. And one way they could do this is by just having a phone system whereby someone decides on the day of a game, I'm not going to go, but it would be good if someone was in my seat and didn't have to log on 48 hours before kick-off on, onto the website with a password no right. one can remember anyway. <laughs> if it's the club <laughs> issues one. Um, to, to, I mean, it's, it's just too complicated. <laughs> it's too complicated at the moment. The problem with that, obviously, is, Kev, that they don't want, like, handfuls of people, or handfuls, like, probably, like, some games up to five, ten thousand people outside the stadium on match day trying to get tickets. They've got to, they've got to then gear themselves up for the idea of selling that number of tickets um, I mean, I, see, this is why the yeah, problem, they've already got the money. The problem what you're advocating yeah. now, particularly as we look at how many people are going to renew, the challenges they've got on selling seats next year, is everything we're talking about is making access easier. And that runs contrary mm. to the concept of the season ticket. The whole thing works on there not being good access. You have to buy up front to guarantee. If you know the ticket exchange always has tickets in it, yeah. you give up your season ticket then other people know that there are more tickets coming through. And before you know it, you're only selling 25,000 tickets. And the most important day in Arsenal's season is 1st of June, when they should take 75% of their ticket revenue on one day. Mm. So it is a paradox for yes, them. But I mean, do you, you actually don't want to make it too easy. No. The minute the scarcity argument unravels on itself, it goes down very quickly. And other clubs have seen huge season ticket waiting lists burn off in one year because yeah. of that factor. Such as Man United? Yeah. Yeah, yeah their, their season ticket waiting list virtually disappeared mm. under this issue. Mm. Once you make the supply match day available, mm. people don't need the season ticket anymore. In effect, the season ticket is just hoarding, the hoarding process. Mm. I mean, this, this, is, uh, this is something that, you know, is in, with the next season approaching is, is something we need to give a great deal of consideration. In the current financial crisis, I mean, I'm thinking about whether or not I should renew for another year, I don't think I've paid off last year's yet, and um, you know it worries me. But the only reason I keep it, in all honesty, because I know that I could get tickets from here, there, everywhere, um, is because I don't want to be at the bottom of this huge waiting list. I don't mm. want to go back to being what was it? Is it? A, I don't even get red membership, do I? You do, you, you, you do. but you'd have to pay for it, right? So, you know, how far down the waiting list do we think we'll be? I mean, obviously, you said you know that, you, that at Manchester United it disappeared in a year. Would it be the same at Arsenal? Well, I think it depends on the season tickets they offer. I think if they offer people uh, lower tier season tickets, people will pay that money. Mm. If they offer them ones high up behind the goal um, for a considerably amount more, they're going to be more reluctant. Um, I suspect there's 45,000 reputed names on the list. I suspect if you are number... 15,000, there'll be enough people ahead of you who turned down the season ticket for you to get a season ticket this summer if you're willing to pay uh, for a seat upstairs. Um, upstairs, upstairs, or club level upstairs? I, I mean the upper tier. Right, okay. the upper wow. tier. I'm 4,500 on the waiting. Right. But I mean, what, what will happen is a lot of people on that 15,000 will pass up the opportunity, and a lot of people, I'm guesstimating, I'm going to have a guess here. 5,000 of 45,000 season ticket holders will not renew 
Now, some of them will be in the middle tier, but there'll be quite a few um, upstairs, I'm sure, in, in the upper tier. Do you think we'll be allowed to move if we want to? Well, I mean, the club supposedly agree that you can move down one price band uh, each season, but they don't make it easy. Right. And that's one of my bugbears, because realistically, I think you should reward loyalty by giving people choice. Mm. And so people who are upstairs, who are feeling the pinch, who want to move downstairs, should be given the opportunity to replace a season ticket holder downstairs who is, is, is not renewing. I'm not talking about filling the whole lower tier with season ticket holders, because I still think it's right that silver members, red members don't get a chance downstairs, but at least silver members can still get the cheap seats. Um, so only if a, a downstairs season ticket is given up should an upstairs person be allowed to move down. But if someone wants to move from the best seat in the house downstairs, that's fine by me. It's mm. not, by, not fine by the club. You can only move down one price band at a time. I can move down one price band. That means I can apply to be a steward next year. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim? I think, just look at what happened on Sunday. It's either Dilemma that's coming on ticket. It's the mm. mixture of the replay and the draw means that if results go the way we'd hope, we're going to have at least eight games on the season ticket. If you can envisage, say, quarter-final in the FA Cup mm. and quarter-final in the Champions League, you're getting up to 10, potentially 11. That, in itself, is going to add 15% to the cost of the renewal next year on top of the normal price because yeah. you have to pay for your credits in advance. Right. Now, that is not a happy proposition for people in the current climate, but everyone wants Arsenal to do well and get through those games. I think the club have got a real dilemma about what they do on the ticket pricing. If they hold prices, we'll all get a slight reduction because the VAT reduction will still be in place. Yeah. Yeah. So it will be a little bit cheaper. But, you know, if they said, right, we're going to take 10% off the ticket prices, but no our shaving, what do you vote for? Because ultimately that's what it's about. Do you want to pay for Theo Walcott's Do you want to pay for Theo Walcott's pay rise? Do you want to give Robin Van Persie £8,000 a week or do you want your mates to still be able to go no, forward to watch well, Arsenal? Well, I wish. I wish that, Man C that um, Walcott wasn't injured because I reckon that Man City would have offered an awful lot of silly money <laughs> for him. <laughs> because I don't think he's as good as... I think he's going to live off those England goals for a long, long time, Mr. Uh, Walcott. Well, John Barnes is still living off the American art And I think we should cash in now. We're uncertain about how much influence Stan Kroenke had on the appointment of Ivan Gazidis as the new Chief Executive Officer. But we can imagine the kind of conversation they're having now that Mr Gazidis has started the job. Well, howdy, Ivan. How are you settling in? Uh, OK, thanks, Stan. I can see there's plenty of work to get into. My predecessors have left me with a large number of unresolved issues. Well, I'm glad you're running the show now, as it means I can have a bit more influence in the health of my investment in this soccer club. Yes, I'd heard you were buying a few extra shares here and there. That's right, my boy. Danny tells me we are preparing for a cold war with the Russians and it's time to start building up the artillery. We're going to nuke them Uzbeks to Siberia and back before they start meddling in Western affairs. Oh. But more importantly, I want you to sign that David Beckham boy for the club. I simply do not understand why he is playing in Italy when I've heard he owns a home at a stone's throw from the Arsenal training ground and actually trained with our boys for a few weeks last year. Ah, training with the players, you say. That might be what put him off coming. 
Well, I just can't see the logic. That boy is box office. He'd get the crowds in and sell shirts in the megastore. Why are we passing up the opportunity of seeing him in a gutter show? Well, Mr. Wenger is in charge of playing matters and decides on who we will sign. Hell, boy, that ain't good enough. Who exactly is paying Mr. Wenger's wages? Tell him I want Beckham here, and I want him here yesterday. But he's 33. Mr. Wenger would never contemplate signing a player of such an age. Eh? How old is that Tweedy Pie fellow we signed from the Glazers at Man United? You mean Sylvester? No, this guy looks like the yellow bird, not the cat. Wears the number 18 shirt and gets paid handsomely getting splinters in his fanny. Uh, yes, well, anyway, he's, he's only 31. Well, that makes all the difference now, don't it? Tell me, who have we got playing in Beckham's position right now? Maybe we could arrange a swap with AC Milan for him. That would be Emmanuel Abui. Isn't that the guy who was booed off for tackling his own teammates and passing it to the other team? Had a brainstorm and thought he was playing for the opposition? Uh, that's him, yes. Hell no! We had that clown and passed up the chance to get Beckham in there? It gets worse. How many shirts had the shop sold with a Bowie's name on in the last quarter? To the nearest hundred. Yeah, that'll do. Let me just check the figures here and just take into consider... Yes, none. Are you giving me the runaround, boy? D uh, no, not at all, but, but there are more popular players. Damn pleased to hear it. Now listen here. It seems to me at times that this place resembles a kindergarten when I see the players walk out onto the pitch. I want to see a few men in this soccer team. And with you in charge of contract negotiations, I don't want to hear about any more 15-year-old prospects from Namibia signing six-year deals paying them 20000 a week. So start negotiating hard and get me David Beckham as a priority. Yes, right away, Mr. Cronky. Good. And once you've secured him, start working on that Kevin Peterson guy. I hear he's a big hitter that gets the crowds in. Who said making money from this soccer game needs to be complicated? Just to mention that issue 193 of the Guna, with an Andre Arshavin front cover, is on sale for the home matches against Roma and Fulham. It features pieces on our new Russian signing, amongst many others. The subsequent issue, number 194, will go on sale for the FA Cup fifth round game with Burnley on Saturday the 8th of March. Guna issues, past and present, can be purchased online through the Guna Shop section of www.onlineguna.com. You can also buy or renew a subscription through the website too. As ever, if you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, the address to use is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Back to the chat. The ticketing marketing strategy at Arsenal, it's the first time they've really had to think hard yeah. about it. Probably since the day they signed Dennis Bergkamp. I think since the day they signed Dennis Bergkamp, we've been sold out for every single Premier League mm. match. He put on about seven or 8,000 season tickets that summer, wow. and it went from there. And this, I think, is going to be the first summer where the club's pricing policy and where they're going to have to market really clever and think hard about what prices are out it is, there. It's funny that you mention that because um, I hadn't renewed at that time and my dad phoned me up and he said to me, because I wasn't going to renew, and I just moved to London, I didn't have a lot of disposable income and I just said I can't afford it and I think 
My dad phoned me up when we've just signed Dennis Burkamp. And he's like, uh, do you want us to get your renewal together and uh, put it in the post? And I did. And, uh, you know, that makes me really fickle, I know. But um, it, it just amazes me that that was the last time you could do that, really. Like, mm. Because I think Burkamp signed towards the end of June, if I remember rightly, or at least a mid... No, it was the end of June, I remember. The club will still take renewals yeah. even in July. Um, they don't uh, They don't uh, say so, but they're quite good on that level. Um I mean, the other thing for anyone who's who's cash strapped, if you can, presumably your credit isn't your credit <coughs> record isn't bad. Get one of those Barclay card yes. Premiership cards because that's what yeah. I do every season, and I pay the season ticket off over the course of a year with no interest. The, the, the one thing you've got to remember is you cut the card up; you don't use it for anything else. <laughs> because once you start buying yeah. as much as a, a, a chocolate bar with it, you get charged interest on everything. You do, no, no. no I've, I've done it. Well, I did it with another card, but um, this time round with that one, I've, so just, I've, I've just got one get it for the season ticket. Don't use it for anything else, and you've got an interest-free loan for a year. Right. And how much are Barclays paying us for that then? Well, I presume it's tied in with their sponsorship of the... No, um, Kev, I meant us for that little plug. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll get my next uh, credit card bill for us. So we're all right. Okay. Um, who wants to answer a question on um, Arsenal's shape in the, in the uh, credit crunch, or as it's now known, recession? Yeah, perhaps I'll, perhaps I'll take that forward. Um, <laughs> I get a lot, of, a lot of support and advice on this from my colleague, Nigel Phillips, who does a fantastic job of scrutinising the club accounts, and you can see all of his work on the Arsenal Supporters Trust website. The most important thing to know is that Arsenal are in a really good shape going into this credit crunch. We will exist as a club. Right. We've got a very sustainable business model. We can pay back our debt. We've got an asset which long-term will work for us. And we've got a squad that's got young players in it with a wage bill and a structure that can be afforded. We're not in the situation of Liverpool where if they don't flip that club to a rich Arab, mm. they're in serious trouble about do they belong to the banks. Yeah. come June we're not in the Newcastle situation where you know they're having to sell their best players in this transfer window and they could well go down and how on earth do they get out of that again other than being flipped in a sale West Ham Portsmouth watch other clubs really struggling we've got a lot of credit to give to the club that the way they've run us means that there's absolutely no doubt that next year three years five years we will be a strong healthy club in the Premier League there is an argument that financially we'll be in a relatively healthier position than now because we won't be competing with Abramovich because he's stopped putting the money in and yeah. they're going to have to run a model like ours. Manchester United have got no further to go given the debt, although I think the, the, the brand and the mm. position yeah, they're in no, means no, enough no, money no. comes in to regenerate and it'll probably be with the money they get from Ronaldo this summer that they can take it forward. But Arsenal are in a, in a very good, stable position. Well, I mean, oh, sorry, go on, okay. uh, the, my, my question to that is, I mean, the club gambled on uh, being property developers with Highbury Square. And the one thing that, that always potentially could untrip them was uh, that the, the property market had a crash. Mm. And obviously that has is, is in progress. And uh, I've heard that um, a lot of uh, the completions that are ready to be made... Uh, in the completed flats, which is supposedly going to pay off the, the construction loan, separate from the stadium loan, um, are not happening for good reason. Um, so I wonder if, although the, the business model of the football club is brilliant, surely some of the, the football money is going to be used to pay off 
the completion of the construction of the Highbury Square development? And isn't that going to handicap us for the next couple of seasons? It, it, it could well handicap the strength of the squad. What it isn't going to do is handicap the very concept of the existence of the club, where it is financially and the debt that it has. I think what we accept has now happened is what was, to be fair to the club, always described as a potential bonus windfall from the property. And I think at one point, it, um, Keith Edelman talked it up to as much as 100 million. Yeah. We have heard other figures come through. Looks more like that will be a break-even right. development project now, in that it will cover itself. <laughs> and you have to well, still give it credit. What it has done is move us to a to a 60,000-seater stadium that gives us the income stream to be where we are. If you look at staying at Highbury, we would currently have a wage bill almost the size of what the revenue would have been if we stayed at Highbury. So the property is disappointing. It's probably not going to provide, not probably, it isn't going to provide that kind of one-off cash windfall right. that we thought if, if the market had stayed buoyant, there might have been 50 million coming over the next year that could just have gone, right, Arsene, catch up, three world-class players to catch up. But I don't think it's going to have a really detrimental effect in dragging us down. It's just yeah. that we're going to stand still with where we are now, which is having to cut our cloth, be clever in the transfer market and develop young players. Could, I mean, uh, it's a difficult question to answer, but had we not developed, had we just sold and taken, what was it, 30 million? No, no, it would have been 70, 60 to 70. It was 60, 70 million. Yeah. Um, how can you uh, go back then and... and kind of crystal ball gaze what things would have been like had we bought 30 sort of million pounds worth of football back then, you know, and perhaps at, at that time we were still competing with Chelsea. That money wouldn't have been pitch. available for players if you it, look at what well, When we sold the property. Yeah, it would have had to have gone into straight, build, back, into straight back into building. But there would the have been more place. money available. So I'm not sure that that's right. I'm not sure. They, 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 what Tim's that's saying right. is they might have paid off some of the stadium mm. debt with that money. But would there not have been something? Because let's face it, well, for the last four been. years there's been nothing. You know, we've made money, we've made profit. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. It's possible that the banks would have demanded that if they did sell Highbury, part of the package was that that goes off of the, the debt uh, that they, they'd incurred building the new place. Right. We don't know. Um, but even being allowed to, to even being allowed to spend the money that he's made. Well, I mean, the, yeah, it's it's you do wonder. I mean, you do wonder because there have been times in the past when I think Wenger has had money and he's chosen not to spend it. And you, but you wonder whether he's you know really has had the money. I mean, like even now we're looking at it. Kevin, well, I don't saying, think now he has. Um, I mean, I think the the archive in if it happens, that'll be it. You know. Uh, I mean, I think what Wenger's actually got to do is box clever in terms of doing loan signings, doing swap mm. deals, um, getting a player in for six months. You know, I would have loved it if we'd got Beckham. I know that sounds completely ridiculous, really. but he would have actually given impetus to A, the team, B, the fans, mm. and C, the, the merchandise thing, which, let's face it, has taken a hell of a beating due to the economic uh, conditions. I mean, I... I mean, I know the shops are still taking money, but I'd, I'd imagine it's well down on what they were taking a year ago. They can't give away the away kits, can they? Well, there we are. So, um, you know, it wouldn't have been that difficult to get someone like Beckham. I think he would have been a good... I mean, I was convinced that he was going to be signed for Arsenal the year we moved to the new stadium. I thought that was, you know, they'd want somebody to unveil, a, you know, a big player. And what did we get? Julio Baptista. <laughs> <laughs> 
mean, so, and even that was on loan for, for swap for a player that we didn't want any longer. Well, the, the money that was spent <laughs> there was actually the ten million pound up front oh. one-off payment to Thierry Henry. Yeah, yeah. So that was where the money went. The big, the big signing, but yeah. the real big signing, and it was very cleverly negotiated by Henry and his advisors because initially Gavin it did. was three million a year <laughs> over over three years. And I think the change of heart around the Champions League final was actually a change in agreement that the ten million would be paid as a one-off signing-on fee the next day. Mm. Well, if it had stayed a little bit longer, it'd all been worth it, wouldn't it? Really? Yes. Anyway, um, so where were we? Well, we're we're now going to give uh, give Tim an opportunity to talk a little bit about the Arsenal supporters' trust and its role in shaping Arsenal's future, Tim. And um, if really, if you can just tell us, you know, what exactly for people that don't know, what the supporters' trust role is, what it does, and what sort of an influence it has as a pressure group. The Arsenal Supporters' Trust exists to represent both small shareholders in Arsenal, but also all fans who care about how Arsenal is owned and run. As a mutual society, right. every single member shares in the shares that we own in the club and has a vote in how we talk to the club and the decisions that we make. So by becoming a member of the trust in a small way, you become a shareholder right. in the club. And we go to the annual general meetings, we meet with the club directors, we scrutinise the accounts, right. and we act in a way like a shadow board. Right. So we will make recommendations and challenges to them in how they ought to operate in a corporate governance sense. Mm. And we will very much urge them to act in what we think is the best interest of the club, which we will always put forward what we call the custodianship model, that the club should be run and cherished on a long-term custodianship basis for the supporters. And I do think that over the long term, we have had a board where they have been supporters of the club. Right. They are supporters who are in the boardroom. The Bracewell Smith family, the Hillwood family, David Dean, Danny Fisman. No one would deny that over the long term sweep, they are supporters of the club who are privileged to be in the boardroom. More recently, of course, we've seen changes going on. David Dean's not there anymore. Lady Nina Bracewell-Smith seemed to have been removed a few <laughs> weeks ago. That means for the first time we have no um, Bracewell-Smith involvement at the boardroom, I think, since 1932. The only family that's never sold a share in Arsenal in its entire history. And perhaps most worryingly, and, and Kev will have some observations on this as well, but for the first time we have a board which has less than 50% of the club's shares represented around its table. Right. I think we're at about 42% at best in the boardroom, which does mean that a getting together of the non-boardroom interests could outvote the board, and that is an unstable position to have. So the Arsenal Supporters Trust looks to bring stability there. We went to Denver. We actually had a better working relationship with Stan Kroenke than the existing board had for a few months. Right. We advised <coughs> them that he would be a good asset to bring on board. Right. That's happened. We work with him. People who came, it was open to anyone who was a member, came to the Christmas reception in the Diamond Club, could have met Stan, could have met Danny. We're meeting with first organisation to meet with Ivan from the supporters' mm -hmm. side. We'll have an open meeting with him. So I think we do have a lot of chance to exert influence. Yeah. Do you, I mean, backtracking a little bit, but do you, does this just involve financial matters of the club? And obviously you talk about this custodianship of the club, which has been a very important... But is it sort of little things? Can people contact the club and sort of look at the, the ethics of the club and the way that that runs? The fact that they leave the lights on all the bloody time when, you know, in a burning away energy? Can I, talk, can I 
<laughs> which remember, can I? You can, <laughs> you can absolutely, and you can read it both ways. You can say that the supporters' trust should only be about the very strict corporate governance side of the club, right? But you can also take the view that the board run the club, appoint the executives, yeah. so that every single decision ultimately goes back up that yeah. decision making tree. Now, if you're not happy with how the burgers taste, yeah. or the view from your seat, you should probably start off with the box office, right. or Ivan Gazidis, one of the commercial team. If you get a general view, clearly yeah. coalescing, then you take it further and further right. up the level. We think at the moment that it's right to start having a view on ticket pricing, because not only is that going to affect the finances of the club, but it's so important to the custodianship mm. view of supporters still being able to afford to come and watch Arsenal that we will start to put pressure on the club about the ticketing prices that they have. Did the AFC have a dialogue with Red and White Holdings out of interest? Yes, we have met with them. We have always had a way of working that we want to meet with all the major shareholders. Mm -hmm. um, we're not scared to take them on. I think we got a change in policy from Red and White early on when they said that they'd be interested in a dividend being paid. And we said we thought that was an appalling proposition. Mm -hmm. No money's been taken out of the club for 30 years. And I think a day after we made that statement, they put out a policy change. Okay. We also challenged them to say that they weren't going to make a hostile takeover of mm. the club. And they've done that as well. So you can clearly see the influence yeah. we have. Sure. And they are very, very, as an organisation, very wary yeah. about upsetting the supporter groups or being seen to be against the interests of the Arsenal Supporters Trust. So you're sort of forming a buffer zone, if you like, between the two parties. Kind of, yeah. yes. I would keep everyone honest mm. because what we can genuinely say is we speak for the fan, we speak yes. for the supporter, and we will challenge every shareholder. Are you acting in the best interest? Mm. It should never rule anything out. Right from the beginning, you could see with Stan Kroenke, there was someone who invested in sports teams, who had a lot of sports marketing experience. The reality was he ended up with these shares. You know, However that happened, better to try and work with him. Mm. We yeah. will engage in a dialogue with red and white i think it will take longer when the main shareholder is based in russia there are a lot of concerns about their corporate governance issues where they come from but we've got to get to understand that and have a dialogue with them so we have the dialogue but that doesn't necessarily mean we support them sure and 99 percent of our membership in a ballot six months ago voted to support the club lockdown agreement which sure. basically meant keep it in the current plural custodianship model if um if Basti was here, um, I'm sure that you know I know exactly what he'd be saying to you right now. Is as you know, as, an, as a member of an Arsenal Supporters Trust, would things like the branding of the club, why we haven't got a clock end and a North Bank and stuff like that, do you get involved in that sort of thing, or is it not in a, in a, in a great amount of detail? Right. I think what we would like to see, perhaps, is you know a kind of model in the in the medium term, which where you could have some kind of executive level board below the main board which would have support for representation on it, a waiver at the next level up, the trust could be involved in decision making and inject that kind of thing yeah. into the club. We have got a meeting in March with a commercial team where we raise those kind of issues with them. When you get down into the arsenalisation, I might say that's an issue where you have to go over to the Independent Supporters Association or to... Um, red action right. who, who look after certain areas okay. but ultimately it might be a case of you want to get hold of Danny Fisman and say look this just needs to change no no well we don't seem to be getting a lot of, an awful lot of uh, leave or awful lot of luck getting in there but uh, Kev uh, well I, I, what is interesting lately is because Lady Nina has departed from the board the trust's um, sphere of influence uh, is actually 
significantly greater than it was. And it, it was it was quite significant before. And the clubs certainly take the trust seriously. And I will express an interest here that I am actually a member, even though uh, I'm not a shareholder. And I think it's important to realise that the trust is open to um, any Arsenal supporter. You don't have to be a shareholder. And ultimately, um, the more members they have, uh, the more justified they are in claiming to be uh, the voice of the supporters when it comes to ownership matters. Um, but what's happened now, as Tim has alluded to, is that the board have a minority of the shares. And if Lady Nina and her relatives decided they wanted to chum up with Alisher Ujmanov, um, and the trust got involved and, for example, decided that they would be better at running the club than the existing brigade, um, the newspapers would have a field day and a great deal of pressure would fall upon the existing board. So I think we may be at a pivotal time in the future of the club in terms of the direction <coughs> it goes and, and who owns it. And um, the trust are well-placed to... Uh, have a big say in that. Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting but also dangerous balance to kind of bring it to life. Look at Liverpool where you've got two blocks of 50% and you could kind of break Arsenal down like this because mm. there's four major blocks which put two of them together and you get near to 50% each. But look at what's going on at Liverpool. One block supports the manager, wants the chief executive out. Sure. The other block supports the chief executive and won't let the manager spend any money without the chief no. executive approving it. Mm. And you've got an unbelievable stalemate behind the scenes. Yeah. Now, actually, Arsenal, if anything, a few people have been coming to us more recently saying the board should be more involved with how the manager runs yeah. the club. And that's the most interesting dilemma and question for us. Is Arsenal being accountable to the board? Or no. some people think, mm. is, the, is the board just to, so you can have whatever you want? Arsenal Wenger, so you no. can take every question back no. to the boardroom. No, I guess. I mean, this is something that David brought up on, I think, every single podcast he's been involved in. And, and two articles in the magazine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, is that Arsenal Wenger has been his own boss? Exactly. The best part of 18 months? Yeah. Well, the, um, sorry. I'm from the outside looking in. Excuse me. So would you like to explain how people do get involved in the sort of logistics of it? Yep. To join, we charge people just £2 a month on subscription, so over a year it's, it's less than half a average ticket price at the Emirates now. And for that you get, as I say, you become a member which gives you a part share in the club, you get to attend the meetings we have with them, you get to dictate policy. Every now and again you even get um, good offers like a copy of the Guna through the post, yes, which we sent out to everyone this week with our article from when we went to the Denver in it and just look on our website um, arsenaltrust.org you'll find the application form on there okay well thanks for coming along thank you and um, I think I think just to clarify when Tim says you can attend the meetings with the uh, club there are two types of meetings there are the private meetings that the uh, selected trust board members have uh, with um, directors uh, which they report back on to the membership and there are events such as a Q&A with the uh, Managing Director, um, which are, are open to all members. Um, ditto the Christmas drinks at the Diamond Club. Uh, the Trust put on events for members, which they're welcome to attend, but you can't just expect to be meeting Danny Pisman 
in March if you join him <laughs> in the next work fortnight. If you join very soon, you can come to the meeting in Parliament where, I think partly demonstrating the influence we have now, we've got the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, Andy Burnham, the Minister for Sport, um, Jerry Sutcliffe and um, Cabinet Minister James Pennell all hosting a meeting for us to um, hear what the Arsenal Sports Trust has to say about how football is run and how Arsenal is run. And a medium-term plug, I think the first chance to meet Ivan Gazidis and question him will come at our open meeting with him on the second Monday of May. Well, that's a very, very good reason. Well, three very, very good reasons for joining and getting online right now. So, um, once again, Tim, thanks ever so much for coming along and telling us about the Trust and your opinions tonight on the Arsenal. Um, and to you, Kevin Witcher. You're welcome. And if anybody's heard any noises in the background over the last half an hour, they've come from our resident Frank Spencer over here, <laughs> Mr. Rudo. Thanks very much for joining us. Give that table, one, <laughs> give that table hell, boy. Thank you, I think. Are we going to do the song? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> la di da Oh, good friends and jolly good company. Hooray!